Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday baseball conversation with Colin Brister. Ole Miss takes two of three from Oral Roberts, dropped the series finale 8-4 to four in the second of a pair of seven-inning games on Sunday after some inclement weather on Saturday. We'll get into a lot of that, what we thought of the uh, revamped rotation, I guess you could call it, Gaddis on Friday, Diamond in game two, Jack Doherty in game three, um, some of the bullpen rolls filling it out, and the Rebels are basically set for conference play. I know they got one more midweek game coming up with C-Law, but they'll head to Auburn next weekend, and SEC play is here. Where does this team stand? How do they fare with uh, with regard to the rest of the SEC and a lot of other topics? We hit a little bit of March Madness at the end, but um, I've got a pretty loaded Tuesday podcast coming for the people that is uh, will be considered our March Madness extravaganza. So buckle up, Sunday baseball conversation with Colin Brister. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They own March. That's who Skybox Sports is. In addition to being the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix and Rule, an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Go get their March Madness package. The bracket is out. You're going to want to win money with your buddies this March and prove that you are the best sports better among you. Skybox is going to do that way more consistently than your own brain. I can promise you that. You need to go check out their March Madness package. It's up on the site right now. Use the promo code MADNESS and you'll get 25% off. All other purchases, use the promo code RIPPY and you'll get 20% off. Whether you want to try it for the first week, maybe the first couple of days of games, you can buy a daily pass, week-long pass. You know, I'd recommend doing it for the whole month or just riding for Skybox for the entire year with their year-long all-sports package. But whatever your price range is, they're going to have a package to fit that. They absolutely own March. They're up over 100 units year-to-date in college basketball. This is their sport. This is their time of year. You need to check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. And then after that, stick around for some NASCAR and some NBA. They are the best in the business. Happy to have Skybox as a sponsor. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This is March. How about that? Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a newsletter for me a couple of times a week and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Then go find your, all your own favorites at LB's. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. All kinds of different cuts, fresh seafood, Crab stuffed mushrooms. I like the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausages. You need to go find your own favorites at LB's. The weather's getting warmer. Grilling season is upon us again. Greg wants to make your grilling experience better. Check them out. LB's University Avenue, soon to be in the central Mississippi area in Gluckstadt, serving the Jackson metro area. So be on the lookout for that. I believe that's opening around next month. I'll double check with Greg there. We'll have on the pod later in the week. Maybe get a grill corner going in addition to some March Madness stuff. Check them out, LB's University Avenue. All right, here is Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. Ole Miss takes two of three from Oral Roberts. They lose the finale, uh, the second Sunday game, two seven-inning doubleheaders. They lose eight to four. 
Um, we'll get into a lot of that. We didn't do a midweek one, and so we haven't actually talked since Ole Miss reset the rotation. Got a lot of different stuff to get into as conference play. I know they have a midweek this week, but, I mean, conference play is here, right? Like, this is the week where Ole Miss is going to spend the entire week on the road. They'll prep for conference play, and uh, we're kind of hitting the uh, – the, I don't want to say stretch run, but the season's in full swing. What's up, man? Not much. I'm in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi with a uh, with a bunch of 16- to 8-year-olds trying to figure out how I'm going to get 21 outs versus your alma mater tomorrow. So that'll be You're, fun. Wait, what's – oh, so this is one of those spring break tournaments, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I remember that. So you're playing J.A. tomorrow? We are playing J.A. Trying how to, are they? they trying, uh, they're not bad. They're not bad. We're going to have to play really well if we want to win. So, um, no, they, 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 they didn't play but one game last week, so they'll have some pitching to throw at us. So, we'll, we'll see what we're made of tomorrow. Uh, a bunch of scrappy yeah, veterans. A bunch of scrappy veterans from J.A., yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I have a friend that uh, coaches there. So, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see what we're made of tomorrow. And, uh, but, yeah, just uh, I watched most of the first game today going down. Uh, second game was we got into a little bit of an area where my hot spot was like, nope, you're not going to have any service. So I tried to listen to most of it with DK. Um, yeah, just kind of a kind of a weird day, really. Like, because if you, if you think about it, like, yeah, Ole Miss lost the second game. I don't think they particularly played overly well in the first game. Um, and they're going to be ranked number one in the country tomorrow. So it's kind of, it's kind of a weird dynamic. Yeah, how, how often – how early in the season do you want to pull out the Mike Bianco that's baseball – um, there was some that's baseball moments throughout today. So yesterday, it, as we recorded this on a Sunday, it was uh, I saw I, I got a picture of snow on the ground in Oxford. It looked like some light snow in the area. So, so the weather so was we're, great. We're, we're oh, go ahead. Like, hit, I was just saying we're gonna, we're hitting BP on Friday in shorts and t-shirts, and it's like seventy six. And I walk outside at like one o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning to get something out of my car, and there's snow all over the ground. I, I've never in my life seen anything like that. We got it the day before you guys out here. I was uh, I walked to work – or not walked to work. I walked into my office at work on Thursday. It was like high 50s, got in the 60s by the afternoon. Definitely not jacket weather, maybe throw on some pants. And then I was work from home on Friday due to the threat of ice. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that was the last bit. I looked at the forecast out here. I don't know what it's like in Mississippi, but uh, I'm looking at it from a golf mindset. It looks like golf weather for the next 10 days. I'm hoping that was go. the tail end of it. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done with the cold. Like, I, I always like, am, am willing to accept the cold when it first gets here, and then by about the 1st of January, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, if, you, if it's cold past Super Bowl Sunday, this is just needless. Like, can we get on with this? I'd like to start booking tea times. I, you know, I don't want college games canceled due to weather. And that was actually kind of, a, in all seriousness, part of maybe why today felt a little weird. I don't sure. know why. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. I was under the impression they were doing two nine-inning games. And so when Delusia in game one was – I didn't think he was great, but he was pitching okay. I mean, really the, the, the thing that – not this wasn't the reason he left the game, but he has the error, you know, on himself on the uh, Elko pitch right. over the uh, – place like that was kind of the thing that uh that kind of hampered him the most I mean I, I thought he had that soft contact single and then he hung one up and that ended up leading to run but point being I didn't think he was terrible and then Mike's going to Brandon Johnson with one out in the six I'm like what's this guy doing like what? we got a lot I figured he'd at least try to get Delusia through the six and then in the seventh and then in Colomire on the announcing crew um uh, was like and remember, this is the first of two seven-inning doubleheaders. I was like, oh, now I know what he's doing. It made a lot more sense. Oh. I, was, I was a little confused there for about 90 oh. seconds. 
you you probably have more insight into this type of stuff than me, and I don't really care, and I don't really think it's the reason Ole Miss lost. They played two nine-inning doubleheaders or two nine-inning games over uh, in Starville today. Like, like, why did Ole Miss have to play seven-inning games, I guess, would be something I'd be curious about. I'm actually going to throw this right back on you. Throughout the years, you've actually explained to me the travel rule, claiming it's not that complicated. The travel rule may as well be like the NBA salary cap to me. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand when it's in effect. I don't know if that had anything even to do crazier. with it. Like, I don't, I don't, I have no idea why. Can we get an answer? I might text so, Chase as we're recording. Why was yeah, that? Yeah, I need, I, I need you to text Chase or other or something because Oral Roberts literally bust to Oxford and is busing to Conway, Arkansas to play a game on Tuesday. So someone explained to me, like, what, what, what the hell happened there? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, you know, State plays Princeton, who's got to get back to, like, Boston or wherever the heck they play. The Northeast, um, presumably know. further. Yeah, I, I, I should know where Princeton is at, but I don't. Um, and they get to play two nightings. Now they did start at 11 o'clock. So I don't know. It was just weird. Um, Ole Miss sucks in seven inning doubleheaders for the most part of that. I thought that – I think there's like some outrageous stat in conference games that they, they just don't win at them. And not to make it, I don't know where we can bounce around here. We'll probably eventually go in some sort of chronological order, but to sure. your point on top of that, look, not that they deserve to win the third game today. And I actually kind of no. agree with you. I didn't think they played great in the second with the way this offense is. And as quickly, you know, the first time Ole Miss scored four in game two to, excuse me, in game three to uh, climb out of the four, nothing hole and tie the game. I think was an example of this when you have an offense that can pop off as quickly and things can go awry for a pitch opposing pitcher as quickly as they do with this offense, it puts Ole Miss at a real disadvantage only having the seventh inning. I mean, even that, uh, even in that seventh inning, they get the leadoff walk to Dunhurst. And then I thought Burford hit the ball pretty hard. It was just right at the guy playing typical double play uh, defense at second base. And then at that point, you know, when you have two outs on one play and you're down four runs, you got one out left, you know, the game's over at that point. But, you know, I don't know how much – I don't know what uh, Oral Roberts had left in the tank in the bullpen at that point. I I don't – I mean, hand up, I have no idea what they had left. But, you know, if you – what would you put the percentage as Ole Miss puts up for a four spot in either the eighth or the ninth or ties it up with two more frames? You know what I mean? It felt like they were putting pressure yeah. on the entire time. And so that really didn't serve them well. But, again, play back. Uh, Don't give up eight runs. Yeah. Yeah, it's too far, right? Like, yes, Ole Miss's offense having two more innings against Oral Roberts' bullpen probably benefits Ole Miss. Also, don't give up eight runs and seven innings to Oral Roberts. I don't know. Um, so, you know, you can, you can say, hey, I wish Ole Miss played nine innings, and I, and I do because I think Ole Miss would have found a baseball game. But also, like, you know, don't get pounded by Oral Roberts for eight runs and seven innings because that's what got you beat. Um, I don't know. It's, it's funny because everybody's going to talk about this last game, right, because you're, you lost the game to Oral Roberts, and meanwhile, you know, they're going to be the number one team in the country tomorrow. That's going to be so funny to me. Watching, uh, probably, I don't think people are going to freak out because I think, you know, it just didn't play a good day of baseball. But it is kind of funny that you lose a game to Warren Roberts in your last game and move to number one in the country. Yeah. So, like, that's what, that's what probably a decent way to <laughs> encapsulate all of this is look, with the way, and I know they have uh, C Law, and I guess things could get weird in the midweek once conference play gets here. But I guess what I'm getting at is with the way they got through the non conference slate to this point, the bulk of their non-conference games. Like, would you have liked to sweep down at UCF? Sure. It was, sure. It was a tough game. But they didn't have the the bugaboo to Arkansas State or drop one to VCU um, or whatever. So with the way that they've made it through the bulk of their non-conference season, 
Uh, don't you what, couldn't you fairly dub this like one of the more inconsequential losses of the year? Like I, I don't know that yeah. game ended. I was kind of like I don't know what to make of this. Like I don't think it actually means anything. Now there's some clues to be had from the pitching standpoint that we can get to in a minute, but just what the loss means, I, I it seems fairly inconsequential. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, it, I don't think it means a whole lot. Here's what I am worried about a little bit is that man, there's just not you know much on this on this non-conference slate to kind of bolster your resume. Um, we, we both think that UCF is going to maybe be a regional team, but that team lost two or three to North Florida this weekend. Um, I think Oral Roberts is a pretty decent team. I mean, they're a team that pretty much is always in a regional and they screw around uh, and beat, you know, won a game in Arkansas's regional uh, two years ago. Uh, you know, it's not a bad team, but you're right. I don't think this, I don't, I don't think this loss is of much consequence. I guess just from a totality standpoint, you just look at these four series and it's like, well, I sure hope UCF is the two or the three seed that we hope they are because otherwise that, that just not much got accomplished because I don't think VCU or College of Charleston is going to bolster your resume at all. Um, and Oral Roberts, while they're not a bad team, they're not going to have a top 100 RPI or anything. So it just kind of, you know, the, the non-conference is kind of nondescript to me. I guess we'll find out about this team a lot more over the next 10 weeks. Obviously we will, but just kind of nondescript from a, from a resume standpoint. Yeah, like, the, and they've had years like this where they, you know, they scheduled, I can't remember which year that was, I want to say maybe it was 18, they scheduled to go out to Long Beach State. They suck. And they suck, but that was not the intent, and I don't know, what, you know, they've been playing UCU. They did it with ECU the year before, too. Yeah, that's right, and ECU kind of had the year from hell, so, like, they kind of, had, like, that UCF series, like, is a lot more times than not kind of their top 25 series, like, that right. UCF in general, but whatever that one test that they have, a lot of times it's on the road before conference play. Didn't work out that way. I don't know much about the uh, North Florida baseball team other than they have a cool mascot. I believe it's the Ospreys. Uh, go I figure, man. Right. I just actually pulled up their page. They are 6-11 and 11 on the year. I, they lost 11 to nothing to UConn. Um, oh, two of their wins was against Central Florida this weekend. Yes, exactly. And they have one against USF. I don't know what that means. But I guess, like, go figure. After watching that UCF team last year, the fact that they lost two in a row to um, – to North Florida, like that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. No, uh, the kid. I will say the uh, kid that shut down Ole Miss shockingly uh, shut down North Florida too. So uh, that at least makes you feel a little good. That kid that was throwing ninety five to ninety seven. Breaking news: he, he's really good. Who is not Litchfield? That's what actually was one no, of the reasons for thinking they'd be good. If they have that guy on Saturday, I'm like, damn, they're going to win a lot of series. But yeah. Anyway, I, I digress. Let's go. Let's just start. We can roll through. We can bounce around. But let's start with the Friday game. Ole Miss wins 16-2. to two. John Gaddis. Actually, you know what? I keep doing this. Back up even further. We have not talked since they uh, – on air, at least, since yeah. they uh, decided to switch up the rotation. They originally announced, Mike said, on Sports Talk Mississippi on Monday with Richard and Borky and the crew, my former radio cohorts, that he was going to go Gaddis, Diamond, and then TBA. Well, TBA. And what was interesting about this is that happened, you know, less than well, less than a couple hours after we or before we published the pod because of the, some audio issues I had. But we were talking about that on the Sunday show last week and recorded. I didn't think Mike would make a move. What did you make of the move and why? Um, I think uh, so. Here's my thing. I don't think McDaniel's numbers signified that he must come out of the rotation immediately, right? I don't yeah. think it was a situation where he's, hey, God, he's so awful, we have to get the cat out. 
think what Mike realized when they left Orlando, Florida last uh, last Sunday was, okay, I'm good in the bullpen. I can put one of these guys on the weekend, and the Rebels are still going to be okay. Um, I think that's what happened. Now, why he went TBA, I can't answer that question. But I, I would be shocked if Mike Bianco on Monday when he said that didn't know that Jack Doherty would be starting on Sunday. Maybe he yeah. just hadn't let guys know that yet. Well, and then you got to remember, too, it was at that time supposed to be a five-game week. Right. It, it turned into a four-game week. And so right. I agree with you. I think he probably, you know, if it wasn't Jack Doherty, so I think he probably had it down to, what do you want to say, two, maybe three candidates to be the Sunday right. guy with maybe Doherty as the favorite. But I get maybe why wanting to go TBA just to see how the week plays out in case things get weird with, you know, I don't know what kind of club Memphis has this year. I didn't do a whole lot of looking into that particularly based on the weather forecast, you knew you could get through Alcorn State no matter what. But just kind of seeing how the week played out from a pitching standpoint, I, uh, I don't mind that part of it. Or I guess I don't say that. I don't understand. I, I understand that part of it. I can't talk today. But the, the Gaddis to Friday aspect of it was interesting to me. Yeah. To add on to what you're talking about from the uh, McDaniel part of it, you remember how quick his hook was against UCF? He wasn't right. even bad, and his defense didn't give him any help. But at the first sign of trouble, Mike was like, nope, like we're, we're going somewhere else. I don't want to be – I mean, probably this is probably a little rash, but not that he doesn't trust McDaniel, but that told me a little bit, right? He didn't give that he doesn't trust McDaniel. chance to work it out. I mean, I guess it's fair to say it would have said, I don't think he trusts them that much. And so, while I agree that, like, he hadn't done anything to say he has to come out of the rotation, I was more interested in moving – um, diamond off Saturday and go and get us to Friday. What did you make of that? Because we were kind of so, against the theory when we talked last Sunday. Um, yeah. So, and, and I still am. Like, I still think uh, Ole Miss is at its best if, if uh, John Gaddis is on Saturday and Derek Diamond is on Sunday. That being said, uh, if anything has been true over Mike Bianco's 22 years, he's going to throw his best guy on Friday night. And you're Ole Miss's best pitcher right now in its starting rotation is who? It is John Gaddis, and I don't think yeah, that's even important after this weekend. <laughs> yeah, um, so he's going to start on Thursday against Auburn. I mean, it just – look, we can sit here and say, oh, I don't like it, I don't like it. Okay, Mike, over his 22 years, because if you remember, right, um, Gunnar Hoagland goes down last year at A&M, and we're sitting there thinking, I don't really want to move, you know, Doug to, to Friday because he's really good on Saturday. Well, guess what, Doug threw on Friday night. Um, you know, so – it just that's that's Mike's philosophy, and you can agree with it, you can disagree with it, but the reality is, until John Gaddis proves he is not the best starter in Ole Miss's rotation, John Gaddis will be throwing on Friday night for the Rebels. I mean, it just that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, do I necessarily think that's you know what I would do? No, but they don't pay me a million dollars a year to coach the Ole Miss Rebels either. So um, it's just kind of the way it is, and, and his philosophy, and, and you know he's won a lot of baseball games doing it. Yeah, you're right. I think that's very well put. And I don't, I don't even necessarily disagree with the line of thinking. My like, the, I guess I look at it from the standpoint of, and this would have helped probably. In the, the today is not any sort of grand uh, judgment for Jack Doherty, and we'll get to that in a minute. No. But it probably would help, like the case of leaving Gaddis on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday, if Doherty had come out and just shoved. Like so, that makes the picture a little more murkier, maybe even gives right. more evidence to putting Gaddis on Friday, but like, I don't even look at it from the standpoint of disagreeing with the thinking. I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, if you have another option to go on Friday that you think might work, why mess up a good thing? Because 
That guy sure. is kind of your quintessential Saturday guy. And that's what I wrote about in the newsletter this past week. This could work. He could be awesome on Friday, and it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I just, with the way you've seen a Christian trend in the past or a Doug Nikhazy right. past really thrive on Saturday, why upset that ecosystem unless you don't have to? But, again, it's not the biggest deal in the world. There's, you know, it's a solid argument to I'm going to pitch my best guy. I guess I understand both ways to look at it. So I will say this, and, and I'll ask your opinion because I'm genuinely curious. Do you all right? Well, let me preface it with this. Do you think? Do you think it takes something different in a guy to be able to pitch on Friday nights in college baseball? Do you, do you like you? You got to be a pretty special dude to go out there and compete on Friday nights in college baseball. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree. And like the okay, I don't even know but, how but to describe whole, it. It's the Doug Casey Christian trip. Right. thing. they both were able to do it, but it was a hell of a lot harder than Saturday. Let me ask you this. Coming into this year, who was the only person on Ole Miss's team that had pitched on Friday nights in, in college baseball? Um, the John Gaddis. Yeah, I guess you're right. From Corpus Christi, so I, I was trying to think if Diamond made a single yeah. Friday start. Uh, I mean, I guess game one start. Uh, other than that, yeah. one. But your point still stands. So I, I do think maybe there's something to having that experience. Now, look, like. Yeah, is he pitching at Texas A&M Corpus Christi? Sure. And is it the same level? Hell no, obviously not. Uh, but I do think there is something about, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the guy that goes and takes the ball on opening night when my team takes the field in conference play um, or, or a, a token a weekend. Um, so I, I do think there is some familiarity maybe with Gaddis that, that maybe he'll be okay with it. I, I think for right now, I'll be honest, I mean, Ole Miss is in conference play starting next weekend. I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, and look, obviously you're like, you know, hey, I, you know, I won't get, I won't Gaddis on Saturday or whatever. That, that's fine. But to me, John Gaddis is going to have to pitch poorly to go back to Saturday. And if John Gaddis pitches poorly on a Friday night, I don't think the Rebels are going to do very well. So, um, you know, if you're Ole Miss at this point, you just kind of hope that he, he figures out a role and is able to sustain it and keep you there. And, and here's what I wonder, too. Um, is he the guy – so – we think about Friday night guys, right, in this league, and, and we think about, oh, they got to go dominate, win a two-to-one game. No, they don't. Not, not with this lineup. That's just got to keep you in it. And I do wonder if he's the guy that is – because we talk about Christian Trent. We talk about, um, you know, Doug McKaysey, um pitching on Friday nights. And it's like, well, no, they, they weren't as good on Friday nights, whatever. Well, here's the thing. They were good enough with this offense to be good enough on Friday nights, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense. And it's probably the way my, maybe Mike looks at it, and I'm completely guessing and trying to, you know, get inside of his head here, which I think history has proven to sometimes be a hard game to do. <laughs> but you're right. There's a um, – it's the lack of variance. Like, who is going to give me the most consistency – like, the most consistency? And, Mike, I think, you know, without Ole Miss having a frontline Friday night caliber guy in the cliched sense, not literally a Friday night starter – I think he maybe like I, I think he maybe looks at it as Gaddis offering the least amount of variance because you've seen it blow up with Derek Diamond before. And while you know Jack Doherty, it kind of blew up on him today, and we you know there was the review, but whatever. Is does John Gaddis allowed a multi-run inning all year? You know what I mean? Like it, I, I think right. in some ways he didn't pitch very well on Friday, but he didn't allow it to snowball. And of course, it's going to get a hell of a lot harder than this Oral Roberts club. But there were a lot of guys on the base path. Oral Roberts left ten guys on the base path, and without being – without I'm too lazy to go actually look it up, but I would say seven or eight of those dudes were probably in the first four frames that they left on base just to hunch. 
you know, he gets out of the second without just allowing one and gets out of the fourth and got out of a jam in the third as well, I believe, where he stranded two. Like, that guy's not going to allow, or at least Mike's thinking is, that's the guy least likely to allow a four spot to get you down four to nothing in the third inning on Friday nights when it's going to be tough anyway, if that makes any sense. Exactly. He's the guy that you think most consistently can go give you six and three. And, and six and three gives you a shot on Friday night. You know, six and six, that doesn't really give you much of a shot. So um, he's the guy that I think Mike thinks is, is the guy that's going to go give him six and three every Friday night. Maybe he gives you a six and zero or a seven and one. Um, but, you know, I, I, I struggle to, especially when you, you look at how, you know, Doherty, everybody wants to just anoint Jack Doherty the Friday night guy. And, and I get it. But what is Jack Doherty like? He, he's not pitched deep in the games before. Now, look, we know Jack Doherty is a very, very good pitcher in college baseball. Um, but he's not the guy that's proven he can go six and, you know, three right now. I don't, I don't know if he's ever pitched six innings in a college game. I don't believe he has. So it's just – it's kind of not feasible right now, to me at least, to say, all right, he's the Friday guy. Well, based on what? Um, you know, he's really good in the bullpen. He's really good in, in three to four inning outings. And I think he can be a really good starter, but I think at some point before you can go pitch on Friday nights in this league, you've got to prove that you're able to do that as a starter. And I probably fell victim to jumping the shark on that a little bit. Um, you know, I wrote about in the newsletter the case for Jack Doherty on Friday nights, and while it could very end up very well end up that way, sure. you know, th- this could this start and maybe he gets another one Saturday or Sunday against Auburn and kind of learns how to go deeper in games and learns you know, the difference in mindset and how you got to have the. I guess kind of learns and feels his way through the stamina of being a starter. Then maybe once it kind of all comes together, learning how to pitch as a starter, then he becomes the Friday guy. So I, you know, hand up, I probably right. maybe fell a little bit victim to jumping. The and I too. Why I'm not paid one point whatever million dollars to coach the Ole Miss Rebels baseball team. <laughs> I just look at what you've seen so far from everyone, and I still think Jack Doherty could end up being a long, a viable Friday night starter for them. But you're right. You know, when you, the, I guess the retort to that, as you just mentioned, is based on what so far he hasn't really pitched deep into games so far in his career and so maybe it's an easing him in process and if John Gaddis is good then there's no easing in to be had you just stick him on Saturday or Sunday now regardless of the diamond thing do you think Jack Doherty ends up on Saturday or like what are the likelihood of him staying on Sunday versus moving to Friday or Saturday I don't know diamond was terrific today we'll um, get to that in a second, but like that just looks very Sunday-ish to me and I don't even know a better way to describe it I I anticipate by the time Ole Miss plays Texas A&M that Jack Doherty will be ahead of Derek Diamond in the rotation. If I have to guess the exact order, I really don't want to. But I I suspect that at some point Jack will be ahead of Derek Diamond in the rotation. We'll see. I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty to, plenty before, and I'll be wrong again probably sometime still today. we got plenty of time left in the day. Um, but I, I do, if I had to guess right now, that at some point Jack Doherty will, you know, bump up a day if you will, um, over Derek Diamond. I don't know what exactly that looks like. If it's, you know, Jack going Friday, Gaddis going Saturday, and Diamond going Sunday, or if it's still Gaddis, Dory, Diamond. But I would I would be kind of surprised if, you know, when Texas A&M rolls in here for the last series, if, if Jack Dory is still on Sunday. That, uh, Don, just to add up to one last point to this, is Doherty has started twice in his career – has never pitch patched the fourth inning. I one of those starts was Game Four of the Super, was it not? Or excuse me, Game Four of so, the, so the the Monday th- game. Today would be his third, right? 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. This is based off 2021. He had two starts okay. in 2021. Right. One of them was the Monday Southern game. Is that correct? The Monday Southern Miss game, yeah. And, it, who, and to be completely fair to him, I think he went four innings. He was going to go deeper until that rain came and mess things up. Yeah, he was fine in that. He gave up two runs, and that's against a red-hot Southern Miss offense at that yeah. time. Three hits, struck out four. Uh, to be honest, I'm trying to go through his other outings, and it, it's – because we keep forgetting that he pitched on April 13th for the first time. I think it was his second outing was the start. It, he made the start on like a Johnny Holstaff day against Little Rock is where I was going to guess. Doesn't that sound right. right? Yeah, I think that's probably right. That was his second appearance. Yeah, I think that's probably right. For so, sure. Point being, he hasn't done it yet. And so right. I guess getting actually into this game, I thought Gaddis was okay. And what we talked about earlier, him being most consistent and not being the guy to – you know, allow a crooked letter or excuse me, crooked number early on. I thought this was a decent example of that. It looked like to me he struggled with the fastball command early and that kind of threw off the rest of his approach. That's just me guessing based on watching on TV like everyone else. I haven't heard anything. I didn't listen to any of the press conferences or wasn't able to find them. But he still gives you five innings. He scatters seven hits. He allowed two earned runs. He walked three, 58 strikes on 96 pitches. To me, he kind of had a C-plus stuff day, but still gave you five, which I think is a good sign in some ways. But, of course, you'd like to look, you'd like to see him be a little bit sharper. But I didn't think it was terrible by any stretch. I actually thought it was one of those games where it's like, he doesn't really have a ton right now, but he's still getting out, which is important. So, all right, it, 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 I think that's a really good way to say it. What, you know, I think that comes with experience, right? Like, is John Gaddis able to do that as a freshman or as a sophomore? Not good sure. Point. He did not have one of his most vital things. Like John Gaddis, what has made him so good so far is his ability to throw the fastball uh, pretty much wherever he wants it. And that was not available to him on Friday. For whatever reason, some days pitchers just do not have it. And he figured out a way to get out. Now, it was not pretty at times. It wasn't. But um, I think that's the reason that Mike trusts him on Friday nights is that, you know, when you don't have it, when you don't have that breaking ball, you don't have the man that you usually have you're still able to figure it out and compete um and Gattis did a really good job of that he stranded a lot of base runners um and just now look did, did he pitch into some luck yeah absolutely but that's part of it um but well on a day when he did not have the command that he almost typically always has um he was able to figure out a way to keep Ole Miss you know uh keep Oral Roberts at bay and let Ole Miss expand a pretty big lead and then on the offensive, I agree. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Like, it's just – like, I don't make a ton of that outing for John Gaddis other than no. the fact that, you know, like you mentioned, he didn't – he wasn't able to throw the fastball wherever he wanted to, and he was still fine because of it worked out of a couple pretty nifty jams. And, you know, at that point in the game, it's only – it was three to two, um, or he gets you five. It was, excuse me, seven to two by the time he took the fifth inning and then Ole Miss blew the game open. On the other side of this game for offensively for Ole Miss, I, we talked about this right before we were recording. Uh, I with Isaiah Coffey, I forget the guy's name that started for Oral Roberts, but that's a dude that kind of had almost a completely sidewinder arm slot, was throwing 91. From everything I could look up about the league they play in, he seems to be a top, a number one or top two arm in that league. I thought he was pretty good, but like so many other times we've seen this season, the uh, second time through the order, the Rebels made him look human. And, you know, I mean, my God, they, they talk about it spiraling quickly. He throws up two zeros in the second and the third, and then he gets hit with a four spot and a seven spot. Um, that just, to me, showed how quickly Ole Miss's offense and strike, and then the game was over from the fifth inning on. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much, uh, pretty much the game story. I mean, Ole Miss's offense was really, really good on Friday. I thought they hit a pretty good pitcher around the, ball, around the ballpark. So, 
Um, you know, it's uh, it was it was a good outing. You know, uh, Mason Nichols and and Josh Mallets come in and, and do their jobs. Uh, and Friday, it, it's funny to me. Like we we we're gonna sit here and talk about because you know that's that's what we do. But this weekend for me was just kind of nondescript the whole weekend. Um, there wasn't really any overarching theme. Maybe I'm missing something, but you know, like I I, I guess some of the bullpen arms on Sunday didn't pitch as well as maybe you hoped, but. Uh, I don't. I don't really think there's any concern with them. Um, so, you know, it's it. It was just kind of a nondescript baseball game that Ole Miss was able to get a really big lead and, and run away from. Uh, Elko had another yak for a grand slam. I believe that's yeah. the second grand slam of the year. Um, when we're talking about the over under uh, home run totals for Mr. Elko, what did you set it out a couple weeks ago? Do you happen like to remember? And a half? You gave me a number and I couldn't remember. Was was it like sixteen or seventeen and a half? No, I think it was twenty and a half. 20 and a half. Okay. So yeah. we are not quite halfway through the season. Oh, not even close. Yeah. We still and got he, 13 games. Yeah. And he's at seven. So they've played yeah. 15 games total because he's played in all of them. Seven. Uh, so seven. that's right on track for the over. And, you know, I, <laughs> I read with great interest a couple of tweets and maybe a message board posted or two about Tim Elko's average. Guess who does not give a damn about Tim Elko's average? Tim Elko. Guess who should give a damn about Tim Elko's average? No one, I don't think. Like, if he's hitting the ball over defense, I think he will be just fine. Don't you think? I mean, he's, right. his slugging is still at what? Slightly under 1,100? Yeah. So, excuse me, OPS, not slugging. That would be a wild slugging percentage. Sorry. Yeah, that would be insane. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up here, but let's see. Tim Elko is – well, he's hitting – Here's the thing. Now he's hitting 271. He doesn't got his damn batting average too high. Need to get that down a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that down. He's slugging 729 with a 426 OBP. And yeah, this did as good as advertised. <laughs> and that was the one that kind of blew the game up. Hey, I hey, say can you guess Ole Miss's leading hitter uh, as far as batting average goes that they qualifies? Batting average? It's got to be Calvin yeah. Harris, isn't it? No. No. He doesn't qualify now. Because he didn't play this weekend. Oh, okay. So what do we talk? What qualifies? Qualify is it's two plate appearances per game. Burford. Yeah, it's Burford. Uh, Four hundred seven. Really well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, McCann's three eighty four. Good God, they hit the baseball really well, except for the last game today, which was weird. Um, but no, I mean Tim Elko. Um, I don't know if it's just me. But, like, every time he steps to the plate, I, I just, like, lock in. Like, I'm, I'm pretty much watching most of the game anyways, or all the games anyways. But, like, when he steps in, I'm not going to the bathroom. I'm not doing anything because I know how far that man can hit a baseball. They have a couple of guys like that. Um, yeah. And to a lesser degree, when you talk about entertaining at-bats, one of the guys I really enjoyed just watching at-bats is <laughs> – uh, is Jacob Gonzalez. He doesn't swing at yeah. bad pitches. He has, like, super – I know this is the TV cliche, but super quiet hands. It just never looks like right. he's trying to do a whole lot, and then he just hits an absolute piss missile uh, somewhere. And you know, if you want to roll that into a real thought about this weekend and some sort of actual analysis of the offense, and we knew this before, one of the things that stuck out to me throughout the three games, and I know they didn't hit the baseball very well in the last game, this team does not swing at bad pitches. Their no, play they discipline don't. and the way they look – I mean, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. There's times where they are looking – they're taking a pitch all the way that's not that far off the outside corner. It's clearly a ball, but they don't even think about offering. It's, it's remarkable one through nine 
the discipline and the vision that these guys have at the plate, they don't swing at a ton of bad pitches. I don't know what their strikeout to walk ratio is as a team right now. They've drawn 20 93 strikeouts, 90 walks. That's that one, they're still, I mean, we're getting 15 games in and that's still around one to one, as you pointed out a couple, <laughs> couple weeks ago. I just, that's something I wrote down from the weekend. They don't swing at a lot of bad pitches, which is really impressive to me. It makes them even tougher of a lineup. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like you have to come into the strike zone. And when you come into the strike zone, they're going to hit it. Um, that's why they have a, over one OPS this year. Um, now, look, is that going to get more difficult when you get in the SEC and guys are throwing 84-mile-hour sliders? Yes. I don't, I don't expect them to stay at exactly at one-to-one throughout the year, but it still is an impressive feat thus far. Um, but, no, that, that's been a staple, really, of Clement uh, during his time in Ole Miss. They have really, really good plate discipline. Um, and when you come in the zone, they're talented enough. This is the thing. They've always had, you know, pretty good play at this point. They've not always been talented enough where there's just one through nine. They're going to bash you when you come into the zone. Um, so, it's, it's, it, makes, it makes pitching to them really, really hard. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a really good lineup. You know, we, we've said it for four weeks now, I guess. It's a, it's a lineup that, man, if you're trying to figure out how you're going to get them out, what, 81 times – during the weekend, that's a really tough feat. Um, you know, if I'm Auburn this weekend, that probably keep me up at night. And another thing on that part of it, too, is, again, in a, lot, in a game where they weren't great offensively from a sheer productive standpoint in game three, did any point this weekend, did you sit there and think, well, there's, you know, they're missing Graham. That's where they would have loved to have him. And that's not no. saying at any point Graham's not an important piece, but it kind of blew like, – it. It glossed over the, I guess, forefront of my mind a couple of times until they showed him in shorts in a dugout with the with the wrist sling on or whatever that was. Like, I, you just never really noticed it. And again, like you said, it's going to get a lot tougher come SEC play, and there probably will become a point where you notice that. But I mean, they haven't missed a beat. I think they scored like forty-one uh, runs in twenty-four innings or something in the uh, midweek game, and they or the the Friday game, the midweek game, and the Sunday game. They hadn't been in like. It's crazy to me that we just haven't thought about the fact that, oh, they're missing Graham. Like, again, could get it's just, so crazy to me. It's just missing an All-American. Yeah. yeah, and just – I mean, the production hasn't dropped off at all, which is nuts. And, again, we'll, you'll start to see the real test and how much they actually miss him. But, you know, they were still trying to figure out how to get the whole Ben Van Cleve, Leatherwood, Burford thing in, even though they have another spot open with the corner output spot. So – that was the one sweeping observation I had from the weekend offensively. They just don't swing at a ton of bad pitches, and that's going to make them really tough to get out. Yeah. I'll ask you this, because um, I think we both watch a good bit of college baseball. Um, you look around the SEC, and, and you know, it's, it's not a league that's overly dominant on the mound. You look around at Texas, what happens to them at South Carolina this weekend, and they, walk, they lose Tanner Witt, their Friday night guy. I mean, and like we've said, we we both expect that D1 baseball will have Ole Miss number one in, in baseball, right, in, in college baseball tomorrow. Do you think they're the best team in college baseball right now? Like, I, obviously, I think it's irrelevant, or I know it's irrelevant, but I don't really, like, yeah, they're going to be ranked number one, but if, is, from what you've watched, do you, do you think this is the best team in the country at this current second? I'll go cautiously, yes, but that's also yeah, I think without I'm getting to see yeah. a ton of other teams, right? We've seen some of the non-conference stuff. You've had, like, the classics of the Frisco one here, one down in Houston. But I feel like with the first two weeks of non-conference plays when I really get a feel for, like, what these other teams are. But I'll go cautiously, yes. The one other one I would have thrown up is Texas, but I don't know how you factor in them losing their Friday night guy and what that actually means for them. Well, um, they lost two this weekend, too. What would you say? 
they lost two at South Carolina this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, despite so. the guy throwing the uh, bad flip at the at the. <laughs> okay, so real quick on that, like I think we're both pretty like hardcore. Hey, bad flip that crossed the line, right? Like you can't do that. I don't think it was completely on purpose. Like I don't think okay. he was like hell yeah, I'm about to chunk it at him. Just from so I saw someone point that out. I was reading. I was literally looked up the video of the tweet and then one of the replies like I don't think he was necessarily trying to do that it just kind of happened that way again I don't know I'm just guessing but yes I would say that's a little far I don't think you should be able to to uh launch the uh titanium or aluminum bat in the uh pitcher's direction I'm all for having fun but you know let's not throw that shit like a javelin let's get into the dugout for real bat flip let's let's not go towards second base so again, I'm not anti bat flip, but like if a, if that lands you know seven eight feet from me as a pitcher, when I'm already mad that I've already given I'm up, I'm throwing it. Yeah, I was about to say that's a little more justifiable. You know what I mean? That's uh, you know, the internet used to loves to use the word disrespectful. I always found that silly. If you're gonna call something disrespectful, I think chucking the bat in your general direction could qualify. Yeah, I'm throwing that bat back at the dugout. They put it up. Um, but you're yeah. right. So they lose two this weekend, though. I don't know exactly what that means, but yeah, I mean, I would say as of this, Ole Miss is the best team. We've lost four of five. Um, yeah, and that they were kind of lucky to get out of that first game against Texas State with the win too. Right, four six. But yeah, um, yeah, they won by one at Texas State, and then Texas State goes to Austin and beats them. The the, the closure does the horn down horns down thing, which is just absolutely hilarious. One of the best know, know, horns downs of all time. I hate Texas. I'll just say I hate Texas, especially in Texas baseball. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, but they're not very good. Well, I shouldn't say they're not very good. They didn't play very well this week. And so, you know, the only other team that really you can consider is Vanderbilt. But and, and I know we want to talk about Ole Miss and Sunday and that type thing. And I think this is relevant. Like, I feel like the SEC on the mound, and we've said this for a while, man, it's just down from a pitching standpoint. It really is. Um, LSU loses their Friday guy this, this week. Arkansas lost theirs. State's lost theirs. I don't really think uh, A&M has one. And then Auburn and Alabama, God bless them, they don't pitch very well. Um, so it's just, And Tennessee, Blade Tidwell, for, uh, Tennessee's ace is not thrown in a game yet. Uh, South Carolina's got arm injuries out of the wazoo. I'm just mentioning teams and Ole Miss is going to play. Kentucky's Friday night guy has a 7.5 ERA. I mean, it's just – this league is offensive as hell right now. Which is going to play into the Rebels' favor as they try yes. to figure this out on the mound. It's going to allow them to buy some time because one of the teams that you mentioned that doesn't pitch it that well, like you said, is Auburn. And then to add some color to what you're talking about, when we went through this year and we initially made this point in one of the previews that we did, what did we say, like, hey, can you go through who do you think the established Friday night guys are? Like, I believe the only two names we came up with were Peyton Paulette and Landon Sims. Well, guess what? Both of them are on the shelf for the year. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, Blake Money was throwing well for LSU. He's done. Um, I, I shouldn't say he's done. He, he looked like he sustained a pretty serious injury. I hope I'm wrong, obviously. But, you know, it's it's just a year in the SEC, man, where there's not the – you remember the year with like, Tanner Burns and all them were coming out yeah. in 2020? And there's just had dude after dude. Um, doesn't feel like that year. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really offensive. Um, I don't necessarily – outside of Sim – not sure there's a first round pick in this league right now. Then, then there was another year before that where it was like one of the Poche Lang years where Florida had like yeah. Poche Puck and then I forget who else. Uh, you know, 
yeah, that's exactly what it was. Like it's, it is certainly not that is a far cry from that. And so, you know, if you talk about, you know, it being an offensive lead, who's like, whose offense are you going to bank on more than Ole Miss is right now? Again, that could change. Yeah. Talk about Texas not playing well. This team's going to have a stretch of this season where it doesn't play particularly sure. well, and they're going to lose a couple in the road. That's part of it. It'll be interesting to just see kind of how this offense and this pitching staff compares to the other team's combination of offensive offense and pitching as we get kind of more into the longer – get more of a longer sample size. And I pretty much just described the entire point of watching SEC baseball. But be that as it may, may I pose a, uh, may I pose a potential rising stock that we should capitalize on? Sure. Are you feeling a little frisky about Josh Mallett? He did get six up, six down on Friday night. We can't. We, we're not going to publish what I said before the show, right? No, of course not. Not the not to my knowledge. <laughs> we didn't record yet. Thank God. Hey, he, dude. I went back and looked. So I watched his first inning, and I had to go to a dinner um, for the ninth inning. That guy was actually throwing breaking pitches over the plate and painted the corner with the fastball at ninety-one. A couple. Well, of well, I don't know this but josh mallets by god throws the ball over the plate yes he does but you know what he didn't do this time (laughs) he caught the corners of the plate he did not throw the baseball that's a good idea which is probably there's any sort of development to be out here is that right he threw strikes but he threw them in the good parts (laughs) he he mastered the the center of the plate fastball and uh uni noble that day um anyway yeah no he looked good i mean look he was really good that day out in texas a year ago um and everybody's like, ah, that kid's going to be really good. Didn't he just, for whatever reason, kind of kept messing over the middle of the plate. So, uh, it was good. No, in all seriousness, it was good for him to to get out there and give an inning or two and, and pitch the way he did. There's talent there. Um, obviously, I don't think it's a secret. You know, if he hadn't pitched all year, and you know, his first outing is the, the Friday night game when they're up 16-2 to two against Oral Roberts, that he's probably not on the top of the list to come in and, and high leverage innings. But, no, it's good for that kid after, you know, kind of getting beat up a little bit last year to come in and, and, and give a solid performance like he did. Look, I'm not going to be this guy that goes full conspiracy theory and says that Mike plays favorites. Mike does seem to love certain guys. Um, I mean, you think Mike's having a glass of wine right now being like, hi, Cammy, did you, did you see him locating on both sides of the plate? That could be a potential starter. Well, in, in complete fairness to Mike. He loves him some Josh Mallage is my point. All right, I, I get what you're saying. But after that day in Stark Boy, he, he did end it. He did end it. it. It was over at that point. So I'll at least give him that credit. Yeah, but isn't that kind of like the guy well, who, you know, maybe knows whiskey is not his strong suit, and then the fifth time he does it, you know, he gets kicked out of a bar, and then he's finally you like, you give the guy credit for actually after he gets a public intox and throws a bar stool off the side of Roosters. That may be a video I saw over over the weekend. Maybe not. Wait, what? I saw some. There was, you know, one of those, whether it's bar stool or row account, some old boy just chucked a table or a chair over the side of the Roosters balcony. I can't say that worked out well for him. I would, I would assume. I, 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 I miss college. God, I miss college. Me too. But so. My point being is, when you have you a bad night, every now and again, a guy's got to go on an apology tour. Does Mike <laughs> deserve credit for it quitting it after that happened? Because if he brought him out again, someone might have had to tackle him. I was going to say, like, do you think Quill would have tackled Mike had they gone to the bullpen and done that again? <laughs> like, remember, we talked about it last year. Should there have been an intervention where he's like, hey, get mallets? Like, what if Clem was like, no, we will not. So try again. Actually, Mike, I'm, we didn't talk. But anyway, in all, in all seriousness, it was it was he pitched well and like 
you know, what do we make of it? I'd like to see it again. You know, for a guy with the amount of arms that Ole Miss has had pitch well this year, right? The Mason right. Nichols, the Dylan Delusha, it's been a little shaky, but the, you could see what's there. Um, Hunter Elliott, Riley Maddox. I think that Riley, like it, Josh Mowitz deserves another opportunity, I guess, and something that matters based off that. And that's kind of how you build back up equity, you know, on the pitching staff and in the eyes of your pitching coach and your head coach. If it had been a disaster, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, we know how this story goes. So it's significant in that sense that I guess it's another potential option because again, he wouldn't be the first guy ever that sucked as a freshman and turned it around. It was a contributor. Yeah, no, I, I it wouldn't shock me at all. If by the time that kid leaves, he's a contributor and throws many four innings and all this. Obviously there's talent there. Um, this isn't some walk on that they, you know, they just, you know, took for, for no reason. No, the kid's got talent and, and he's got to be able to locate, and, you know, there was a good side on Friday. So, um, you never turned down bullpen depth. So you, if you're Ole Miss, you hope he keeps pitching well. Does uh does Ole Miss play one or two midweek games? This week? I think it's just one, right? Because they play on oh. Thursday. Yeah, it's just got to be just one. So I was wondering if maybe they could get him in some midweek action this week. Probably be hard to do. Yeah, potentially. So I'm gonna make sure that's right. I, the so oh so they're the SEC Network game on Thursday. That'll be good stuff. Unfortunately, first right, time yeah. NCAA tournament. But hey, that's awesome. Yeah. So they're uh, two TVs. Tuesday, just the uh just the one on um. Just the one midweek game this week. Do you like Thursday, Saturdays? I kind of like them. I do, too. So, this is selfish, right? I like them when they're not in Oxford, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, that's If fair. Ole Miss is on the road, yeah, let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If Ole Miss is at home, no, 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 no. I want Friday, Saturday, Sunday because I want the big crowd on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, or especially on Friday and Saturday. So, um, in, in a selfish way, if, if they're on the road, yes, I, I do like them because, you know, I, I, one, the other team's not going to have as big of a crowd. And two, I just would prefer to go ahead and sit, see the uh, see the series. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. Because um, on top of that, I mean, as someone who doesn't have to cover the games in person anymore, I right. actually kind of like it being on the Thursday night because my days of going out on Thursday nights have long <laughs> passed me by. But I do, you know, whether it's playing golf on Saturday or picking a night on Friday to go out, uh, you know, sometimes that cuts in because of uh, baseball. But, like, I enjoyed just the Thursday night routine of I'm going to watch this, go to bed, and then have work the next day, that type of thing. I'm going to ask you a dumb question, maybe, and it kind of ties into this. Have you noticed, and I know you're big on, and and I agree with you, that Twitter is not the real world. And, and again, I'm with you there. Um, But I, for whatever reason, have just noticed a lot more college baseball coverage from people that don't usually care about it. That kind of ties in, like, I, I enjoy the Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal because it's college baseball and national TV. And, and, and the more of that, the, the better for the game and the better for the product. For whatever reason, it just seems like college baseball has picked up this year more than it really ever has. Borky and I t- talked about – you're right. Borky and I talked about this on uh, the Friday podcast that we did. I guess that would, what the, that's that, what that one was. Yeah, Friday, because I did he and Bracken together. My memory is terrible these days. We talked about this. So – I think some of that, you're one, you're right. Some of that I think was probably lockout induced and you know, you don't have the spring training and you're not even really necessarily paying attention to what, if you're a diehard MLB fan or your job is to cover MLB and some of that will probably go by the wayside now that the MLB has figured it out. But I think you're right. And I think what people are kind of realizing is more and more of these games get on television because you know, you think about it now, no one ever actually thinks about the days where it was watching Ole Miss games on a daily basis was hard. But that wasn't that long ago. And in terms of like a national perspective, it takes time 
for people to catch on to things, right? As humans, just by nature, sure. we kind of, it takes us time to catch on to things and for things to gain momentum. And I think it's probably a combination of that. I think people are realizing that college baseball is kind of a weirdly electric sport. I used the example of the horns down kid on Tuesday night against Texas. <laughs> That's a midweek game against Texas State. Does that game actually like matter a ton? Matters a ton for Texas State. Probably not in the long run for Texas. But the Friday night and the Saturday game uh, for Ole Miss against UCF, like there were dudes showing a lot of emotions. Brandon – Johnson was ready to like bust a belt loop. Well, you had dudes yelling in the dugout and stuff. I think feel people, like there was. A, oh, go ahead. Say, it feels like there was a reason for that on Friday night. We probably need to talk about. Um. Yes. Yeah. We can get <laughs> in a second. That's a that's a good point. I forgot we never covered that last week. I was yeah. kind of all over the place with the pod last week, coming off the golf course. But anyway, point being. I just yeah, think you're right, because though. it's a weirdly electric sport. 56 games is enough to matter. Like 56 games, a bad loss doesn't kill you, but all the games matter enough. And there's a lot of emotion in college baseball and like excitement that I don't think you always get at the pro level. And so I think people that watch it in short blips are like, this is actually kind of electric. Now, are they going to tune yeah. in to a Tuesday midweek game that lasts four hours and think the same thing? No, Probably not. I, don't I do that. think you're onto something there. No, I, I just – and I'm kind of happy about it. Um, just kind of seems like the sport's taken off. It's a niche sport, and I get it. It's never going to compete against college football or, or college basketball. But uh, the more popularity that it gets, the better. Um, I guess I guess we can just talk about it now before we get to Sunday. Um, so, on Friday night, last Friday, when they're at UCF, I'm, I'm coaching a baseball game. And this game doesn't end until, like, 1045 or whatever. It's late. And I have, like, 15 text messages on my phone or whatever. Um, and, and, like, I think three of them are for you talking about diamonds outing. And the one I got – the other one I got that I didn't mention on here was, like, so something happened with Plumley, And I'm like well, – and they explained it to me later what happened. I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. Sounds like it sure enough happened, right? From what I understand, yes, something happened. So, I think he at some point – and I don't want to get too specific because – uh, it's not my job to confirm such things anymore. At some point, I think he right. intermingled with the team on Thursday, whether that was Team Hotel going to their BP, I don't know. And then, you know, I think maybe they caught him stealing the signs on Friday. It certainly happened like that. I haven't listened to the Peyton Chatagnier show with Neil, but apparently Chatagnier alluded to it. To yeah, me, this did. is a case of, you know, as humans, we like to get into our emotions sometimes, and there's not always a right and a wrong side of it. To me, this, um, this qualifies as that. Do I understand why after kind of maybe acting all chummy with some of his former teammates who right. I really like, like that, I don't think there's any real hatred or animosity there going and stealing signs the next night. Could I see why in the heat of the moment, you're pretty pissed off about that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, if I'm John Rice Plumley and I'm on the UCF side of it, like, do I like think it's egregious that Ole Miss didn't change their signs and Plumley's like, Hey, here's what they're doing. No, absolutely not. Ole Miss should have changed their signs. That's kind of how I came down. So, Yes, I feel like two things can be true. Let me let me phrase it like this: Ole Miss should have changed their signs. Oh, uh, John Rice Plumley never should have been able, if allegedly, uh, to steal their signs. However, if you're John Rice Plumley, like just don't do it. You know, like I, yes, I'm not going to to sit here and say, uh, you know, that if he steps into the batter's box against Ole Miss, throw it, throw it his ribs. Oh, but like I'm not going to compromise my relationship with uh with, you know, five and Mike Clement and Carl Lafferty that, you know, kind of kind of probably like the guy um, from all, you know, from what it sounds like over, you know, giving a hit and run sign to, to my coach, um, you know, in a game that I'm ineligible to play in. So, I, I don't know. 
if if I'm Plumley, I'll say it like this: If I was Plumley, and maybe I'm weird, I would not have done that. Um, I'm not necessarily casting fault for in him for doing it. I cast more fault on Ole Miss for not changing their sides. Um, and I think I think Shot and Yale alluded to that they they did they did change their signs after they figured it out. But um, if I'm John Rice, I just I don't put myself in that situation. I guess is what I'm saying. I think that's fair too. I would just like if and I I really have zero strong opinion on this one way or another. Like I guess my uh, my retort to that would be. If Ole Miss had a kid from UCF transfer in and he got his waiver denied, but maybe you thought he could play next year, like wouldn't you want him telling you any sort of competitive advantage you had in the other dugout? Yeah, um, but if that kid told me, "Hey, I can't pick him up," I say, "Okay," you know, like and that's also we, fair. You know, probably could have just you know looked at the coach and said, "Yeah, they've changed their indicators." I don't, I don't know. And look, I'm not necessarily blaming John Rice Plumley. I'm telling you what I would do, and it's just two different human beings. Like me, I'm not bad at John Rice Plumley. Like he, he's the ultimate competitor, and that's why he's a successful D1 athlete. Um, you know, and is, is an extremely good athlete. But you know, if it's me, I just I, I probably don't try to piss off the team that I was you know entrenched for the past two years. Yeah, he could have given the whole coach. I do, I can't I can't read signs. I only read music. I uh, play the. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a piano player. That's what you want. Anyway, so, so transitioning to Saturday a bit, uh, Derek Diamond. Saturday was good. snow. Yeah, oh, excuse me, Sunday. That's right, Saturday. I don't think they were playing much baseball, although it no. does consistently crack me up that Mike is always the last one to cancel games. Okay, you know, so that was so funny to me because I'm in Oxford on Saturday on the ground. game. And I'm like, I'm driving through snow to get to my buddy's apartment. And I'm like, you telling me we're for the play a baseball game? I drive by Swayze, and there's still snow on the ground at 8:30. Like y'all, y'all really gonna tell me we're playing a baseball game out here at 1:30? And like Ole Miss, Ole Miss's Twitter accounts tweet out game times 1:30. I'm like, all right, guys, whatever y'all say. Thankfully, uh, you know, some sense arrived and they canceled the game. That that is always funny. Ole Miss is by God, by God going to wait it out and see. I think Mike thinks he can defy weather. I, I, it would not shock me. I'm just I'm purely speculating here. But if he got the umpires together and we were like, I know there's snow on the ground, but could we play with a yellow baseball? That would stick out more. Like, that dude loves trying to defy weather, and I'll never understand it, and he gets very upset when you ask about it. To Mike's credit, he also has only had, like, one SEC game canceled over his 22 <laughs> years. So, I guess, he's got, I guess he knows what he's doing. <laughs> There's probably some coaches that have left Oxford being like, I cannot believe that guy made us play that game. This <laughs> My favorite, my favorite though, was the one game that did get canceled. Like it was against A&M in 2015. It was the last game of the year. And like, they both looked at each other and was like, neither one of us need to play this game. And they just went home. Yeah. Cause Ole Miss was right on the bubble for the tournament. Yeah. And they ended up getting like a two, three seed and going out to LA or whatever it was. But yeah. Like, hey, actually, this is this is not going to be any benefit any of us. The one time Mike was like, "Yeah, we should probably not. Uh, we should probably not play this one." Was when they didn't really need to play it for their benefit. Only bad. That was uh, that was the week that uh, if you remember, they had to finish above five hundred. That was the only like criteria for them to get in because like everything else was fine. That's it was right. Just literally, they had to get their record above five hundred because they were horrendous in the midweek. And he took so like I don't know if people usually know this, but during midweeks, he does not take his Friday night starters usually down there unless it's just a road trip that they're going to continue on. Well, on a Tuesday before they played A&M on that Thursday, he had Christian Trent dressed and ready to go and pitch out of the bullpen if they needed to beat Arkansas State. 
I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, Christian Trent went down in the bullpen. The Ole Miss won the game like 18 to 1 or whatever. But he had Trent and Spikes ready to pitch in relief if the Rebels needed him that night. And I have no idea why my brain goes to this. You talked about this the other week of random nuggets you pick up from just being around it that often. I want to say that game in Jonesboro in 2015 was one of Errol Robertson's, like, either one or two career home runs. I remember he It was. It absolutely was. Yeah, do you remember this? Yeah, I don't know why yeah. I remember that. But I was like, damn, the ballpark must be a launching pad if he got one out. Because I think it was opposite <laughs> field, too. And I was like, geez. So, I remember – I remember, like, because the game wasn't on, like, stream or whatever. I had to listen to Kellum call it. And I, re- I didn't – like, when I was in college, this was back when I was in college, I didn't usually care about midweek games. I didn't really – like, if, if they were at home, I would go to them just because I like being at Swayze. But, like, if they're on the road, unless it's, like, State or Southern, I didn't pay attention. And, like, I do remember vividly sitting out in my car because I was anxious because Ole Miss had to win the game to get over 500 for the re- for the season. And, like, then Ole Miss being up, like, 12 to nothing in the fourth. Um, so – that was 2015 Ole Miss baseball in a nutshell. Yes, it was. That was uh, that was Will Golson and about two arms and not a whole lot else. That was uh, there was a lot of Jacob Jacob Waggespack. Yeah, a lot of Waggespack in that season. Who was actually pretty good. Now he's gotten up with the yeah, Blue Jays, but not much behind him. Yeah, uh, oh. that was that was Waggespack in short uh, pitching out of the bullpen. That was like almost in Weathersby, and that was literally it. Do you remember Preston Overby? By the way. I do, absolutely. Is This is not the most perfect analogy of all time, but kind of reining it back into this game on Saturday. Derek Diamond, really good. He threw yeah. 56 pitches in this second game. He allowed one yeah. hit. He threw a lot of, from what I saw, a lot of his breaking stuff for strikes. That's where you're going. He ended up with uh, – yeah, see, see, there's some credence to this. I'm not totally crazy. He didn't That's walk where you're going. He only threw 55 pitches in four innings. That was really very economical. 42 strikes and 45 pitches really filled up the zone. I thought he was sharp. Mike takes him out purely from his – I know you, you mentioned that uh, the one of the broadcasts said this as well. I didn't pick up on that. But purely to kind of have the option to set his pitching next week, he's going to have to go a day earlier at minimum. There's a storyline setting up here where the chastised, criticized versus hero roller coaster, Diamond is riding it because just when you want to push him out and he has a tough week last week, he does something to draw you back in. And while Derek Diamond was more consistent and I think a lot of times more productive than Preston Overby was, there's some parallels there, are there not? Yeah. So so with Overby, right, and this is a really good comp you made, um, he, he plays second base. And Preston Overby did not need to be playing second base. I mean, he just um, didn't look like a second base, but didn't really move on. But he did a good enough job But his last year when he was playing it, um, didn't really hit. And then, you know, they go to they go to Lafayette and hits that massive home run, wins them the game. And uh it kind of set up kind of kind of that way with Diamond, obviously on a much, much smaller scale. But so here's what's weird with Diamond, right? And it's it's something I've had to make myself accept, and I think all old Miss fans should make themselves accept. We we saw this kid two years ago during the COVID year, right? Um, that gets on the mound on Sundays and he's he's ninety two and ninety four and he's dominating, you know whoever, and now you see this kid, he's 88 to 90, and he's, you know, throwing not as sharp of a breaking ball. It, at some point, you probably just need to realize, like, hey, this is who Derek Diamond – and this isn't a shot at him. Um, he's going through some arm stuff. He, he, you know, he, he's tried his best. And, you know, the, there was an arm injury last year. and This kind of just what he is. He's not the guy that he was when he first got here. 
But the guy that he is could be good enough to pitch on the weekends for Ole Miss and get outs for Ole Miss, and that's what you need. Um, and so it's, it's kind of hard to accept, like, for some people. And it was like – like I said, it was like this for me too, that, hey, I saw this kid in 2020 and he wasn't like this. What happened? And you're kind of still trying to hold him to that standard, and that's just not really fair. But he can do things like he did on Saturday, which was pitch really well, keep Ole Miss in a game where their offense took a minute to get going and, and eventually give Ole Miss the win. I think that's really well said. And a lot of part – and I don't want to call this unfair on Diamond or on the part of criticizing Diamond. Actually, no, I'm going to back that up. I'll start here. I don't want to – look, we don't – obviously, we're not reporters, so we can kind of go off into the speculation game a little bit. I don't want to get too specific into it because I've heard different things. Yes or no, keep it very simple. Do you think he is 100% healthy or as healthy as he was when he took the mound against Texas last year? Yes or no? No. I think the answer is a fairly consequential, pretty cut and dried no. I don't know what that means. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of real estate between kind of what I just said and, you know, a guy having a catastrophic injury. I'm not suggesting he has one, like, but you get my point. There's a lot of real estate in there. I think that is clearly the case, but you're right. And then on top of that, I guess to add on was another thing was, he was the Friday night guy by default this year, right? And you think about yeah. it, from the, particularly the casual fan, and I don't mean this as like a, in a condescending way as possible. Your Friday night guy is your Friday night guy. You're expecting him because in most cases, right. in most years, Ole Miss has had a real Friday night guy. They've had bad teams where they've had a Friday night guy where it's like, okay, this guy gives us a chance, but, you know, what does it look like beyond this? Like, he was kind of that by default because they didn't really have any other option with Nikhazy and Hoagland leaving, and there was that no natural, there was that there wasn't that natural progression of a guy either being on Saturday or Sunday, and then it's his turn to be on Friday. Right. Like Diamond kind of was that, and then you have the arm injury part of it. And I just don't feel like that's all. Like Diamond not ended up being a Friday guy, but say he becomes a very effective Saturday or Sunday guy. That to me that doesn't necessarily diminish his career. That's sometimes the reality of college baseball and how these things go. I like this. Um... I don't know if you saw uh, when they were in UCF, Derek Diamond was still um, a highly thought of prospect. I think he was number 63, 70, I don't know, top 100 uh, before the year and, and during the year or whatever. The scouts realized, like, hey, there, there, there's talent within this guy. And, and, you know, so when people see that and then they don't see, like, why is he throwing 88? You know, it's it's – Look, I don't, I don't think it's any secret. He wasn't 100% at the end of last year. And, you know, he's trying to battle through it, and, and he's not – I don't think – you know, he may be 85 90%, but I don't think he's 100% right now. Um, and, and, you know, in complete fairness, no pitcher is, is ever 100%. But I do think there's been some velocity drops. And, and now, look, I want to be very clear, and I know you're saying this too, uh, Mike Bianco is not running him out there injured. He's just not what he was two years ago from a velocity standpoint for whatever reason. Um, but like you said, and, and, and like we've alluded to, uh, that doesn't mean that he can't get outs for the Rebels on the weekend. Um, frankly, I'll say it this way. If Derek Diamond is not in the rotation when A&M rolls in, then I don't think Ole Miss reaches its ceiling. Now, it could be as a Sunday guy, Saturday guy, whatever. I think it needs to be in one of those two roles, to be clear. But I do think Ole Miss's ceiling involves Derek Diamond starting games on Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, you're right. Um, and to for, to just – you've referenced the A&M thing a couple of times. That is Ole Miss's final series, just for the record, right. anyone that maybe not know that out there. That's Ole Miss's final series before the SEC tournament and postseason play. 
I think you're right. And he was really sharp in this game. I think he impressed me a lot with the breaking ball. The fastball was, you know, good enough, right? It started at 91, 92 a couple of times in the first inning. Kind of yeah, it was up a little bit today. Yeah, and that's kind of the diamond story, right? And I thought that was an encouraging sign. And so I maybe shortchanged him a little bit because I maybe got a little bit carried away with the whole Doherty Gaddis diamond, I guess, take, if you want to call it. It was really just making an argument for it um, in the newsletter and on the podcast last week. Maybe I shortchanged him a little bit because, you know, Diamond's also a guy that could be very capable of being an effective Saturday guy, particularly if that version of him, you know, you, uh, Oral Roberts be damned. I just thought his stuff and the way he located, he can be an effective Saturday guy. Now, if he gets bumped to Sunday, Ole Miss is going to have an advantage over most anyone. And so I guess I'm not arguing between the Saturday-Sunday thing, but I feel like I maybe shortchanged him a little bit because I do think there's a world where he's an effective Saturday guy. And I think he kind of showed that. And, you know, He's a guy, what have we talked about with Derek Diamond through the, through the last couple of years is one, sometimes the, it's in between the ears with him. And a lot of times yeah. another part of it too is not being able to mitigate damage. There's not as much pressure on Saturday. And that kind of gets into the tang- intangible we t- part we talk about Friday versus Saturday. Maybe that helps him a little bit too. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Um, you know, and I think part of it is, look, we talk about Derek being this guy that comes in as a freshman in 2020, and he's 92 or 94, and now he's 89 to 92. Well, Derek has to learn how to pitch like that, um, and, and that takes time. So, um, look, I, I said it last week, and I still think I still think I believe this. If Ole Miss was in a regional this weekend, I don't think Derek Diamond is one of your best two options to get you to 2-0. and Um However, that doesn't mean that he can't get outs on Saturday in the SEC. Um, you know, so I, I think it's going to be interesting just kind of seeing how his trajectory goes. I, I think there's a real opportunity for him uh, to be the guy that gives you six innings and gives up four runs. And let me tell you, if Ole Miss could get six innings and give up four runs on a Saturday, they're going to win a lot of Saturday games. Um, if they can do that on Sunday, they're going to win every Sunday game. So it's uh, it's look. This kid has been through a lot in what's been Ole Miss. He's, he's been through an obvious, you know, velocity drop. He's been through getting demoted out of the rotation, put back in, getting demoted, all that stuff. Um, so it's just going to be interesting to see. We, we talk about, you know, how sometimes innings snowball on him. Well, he, he's been a little bit better this year outside of the UCF game with that. It's, uh, it's just going to be interesting to see. I, I I think that's the most fascinating thing because this offense is just kind of set in stone, right? Like, so uh, the trajectory of these three pitchers, who I, I would be kind of shocked if the rotation isn't the same uh, at Auburn, just kind of how Mike manages that and gets them into the spots they need to be when June rolls around is going to be the most interesting part of the season to me. Yep, and on top of that, I can't remember. So we, I know we did this game about give me two guys numbers. One offense, one pitcher at the uh, beginning of the year, and I can have a good idea of where this team went. I don't remember if I picked Diamond, but this is shaping up to be that. Like, he's going to be a fantastically interesting – I say fantastically – fascinating character to follow this season because I think his success could have a pretty similar parallel to whether this team reaches its ceiling or not. Of course, it won't be exact, a mirror image, or perfect, but I think if you're looking for just kind of one anecdotal guy as, you know – one guy to follow significantly about whether this team reaches a ceiling or not. Isn't it kind of shaping up to be Derek Diamond? Because he's kind of the difference maker. If he's good on a Saturday or Sunday, Ole Miss can figure the rest of it out. Kind of feels like that for sure. And, you know, so I think Diamond is, is officially probably off Friday nights for a while. 
Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't think Gaddis will pitch poorly enough for him to, to bump back there. And I do think, you know, you know, frankly, if he does, I think Jack's going to pitch well enough um, over the next three or four weeks that if that has to happen, then Jack's the guy that goes there. Um, so, yeah, if, if we look up in May and Derek Diamond is, you know, three and two in the SEC with a four two eight ERA, man, that's good enough, frankly. Uh, that's good enough to win a lot of baseball games at Ole Miss. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you were able to tell me his numbers and if you told me, hey, by week six of SEC play, he's out of the rotation, well, uh, I don't know if this team's going to be a national seed. Um, so, yeah, you're exactly right. If, if there's one person on the, on the mound that I can have their numbers right now, it's, it's definitely him. I don't know what to call these type of moments, but I brought this up a couple of times throughout the year, and as good as this offense is going to be, I don't know if we need to call this – the cussing is swearing into your glove moments that pitcher like to do sometime. Uh, could we make, create a segment that's called, does the, we should do that. Cigarette? Did we make the pitcher? Did Ole Miss make the pitcher crave a cigarette? There was a couple of this this weekend. One of them came in the bottom of the second inning in this game too. So I forget the starter's name for Oral Roberts. It doesn't really matter. It's like legend or something. Yeah. Legend Smith. How could I forget there. that? Who was actually pretty good. I was there. He, yeah, he went back. That guy's not an SEC arm, but I was kind of like, okay, he showed a little bit of stuff there. Like, he threw a couple fastballs. We're like, all right, this is, this is not, you know, just completely thumbing it over the plate. So, bottom of the second inning, my man gets a fly out of um, bench, gets another one of yeah. my pants. Alderman first pitch single. Ben Van Cleve, the much maligned Ben Van Cleve, he gets down one-two. He has a foul, watches four straight balls. Two of those were really good takes. Then – Okay, now all of a sudden, two, you know, five pitches ago, you were pretty much in control. Now you got two on, two out. Dunhurst double, Shat triple. All of a sudden, you've given up four runs when you're one pitch away from getting out of the inning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, we're cruising and uh, we're dead. Like, I mean, you know, so that's uh, <laughs> what this offense does to you, man. They're, they, they're all relentless. It really is a relentless group. And I just that there's been moments throughout the year where I'm like, okay. And then, you know, with the way Diamond was pitching, once they and that's probably a good sign and, and probably a good way to kind of encapsulate, you know, the confidence level in Diamond, whether it's not necessarily a Friday guy, spotting Derek Diamond a three oh lead, they added one in the third. I actually felt good with the way he was pitching about Ole Miss's chances yeah. to win the game. Uh use uh, Oral Roberts adds two in the fifth. Um so they bring in Delusia. And I'm curious what your thoughts were on this. Of course yeah. Mike gave diamond the short hook because of the setup the pitching next week you got thursday friday saturday as we outlined were you surprised he didn't just go straight to johnson with it being a seven yeah, no. what did you think of him no. going to delusia um i here's exactly what i thought i thought mike went to delusia because he thought hey this offense i didn't need three outs this offense is gonna run them off um and i'm not gonna have to waste johnson i'll have him to piggyback on doherty and we'll just win the game you know nine to nine to one or whatever um, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen in time, at least. Um, so, you know, Delusia gives up the two runs in the fifth. It's four to two. And, that, you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're hoping, all right, well, we're going to put up three here and let Delusia finish this and hold Johnson. You don't score in the bottom of the fifth. And then the first guy gets on, and it's like, well, hell, do we want to win the game? And the answer is, yeah, we want to win the game. So you, you just got to go to Brandon there. And, uh, Brandon gets it done, but no, I, I was not shocked. I, I thought Mike wanted to try to get through that not using Brandon Johnson and using some of that bullpen depth that um, 
He's kind of developed over the past week, week and a half, or two weeks. And, you know, just Delucia wasn't able to get it done. Yeah, and I actually didn't think he was terrible. I really didn't. So, he – the start off that fifth inning, he's yeah, ahead one, bad. two. And the kid kind of hits one off the end of the bat in just one of those areas between short and third yeah. where, like, look, Jacob Gonzalez got a pretty damn good arm. Just couldn't really, like, get yeah. to it. It's one of those hit him where they aren't thing. Then he's in two, two, and he does make a mistake of, I believe that was the Lofton guy. So, he gives up the run. And then he gives up another single, which was another kind of tweener one, gets the strikeout, and then the other run scores on a fielder's choice where if that ball's hit a little bit harder, I think Ole Miss can turn too. Um, you know, he gives up the run. The next one, the, uh, the, the, he gets the uh, ground out to end it, but he had a strikeout in between. I guess what I'm getting at is he wasn't great and he wasn't that sharp, and I think this kind of defined some of Ole Miss's bullpen's arm this weekend. He wasn't sharp enough, but I didn't think he was terrible, right? You have the soft contact, and then you make one mistake, and it seems like things compounded. Like, I didn't leave that thinking, man, he got peppered. Like, it was a couple of soft contacts things. And then, you know, Johnson takes over for him. Johnson made it a little bit harder on himself. I can't remember if he gave up a single or a walk. I think it was a single and, like, a 2-2 count or something like that. No, he was ahead one and two and made a mistake and left the guy up. Johnson comes in in a high leverage situation and escapes out of it. I thought that was an interesting sign because we haven't seen him other than UCF in a whole lot of those. He strands the bases loaded. I thought that was, you know – Talk about filing away nugget season. I thought that was one that was interesting because he was in a really high leverage spot when he takes over what he – he inherits the runner because Delusia muffed the throw, gives up the single, and was able to work around it without allowing a run to cross. I thought that was kind of a, a pivotal moment in the game. Well, sure, yeah. Uh, Brandon was really good, really overpowering. And, you know, you just got to go win the game at that point. And, you know, so Ole Miss does – you know, I'm sure Mike's mindset is, oh, it's okay. We're going to score enough on, you know, the third game and, you know, Jack will pitch deep enough. It'll be fine. Um, just didn't work out that way. But, no, it was a really good job by Brandon Johnson to kind of – and like you said, Delusia wasn't awful or anything. But it just – so, has it felt like outside of the outing at UCF where he obviously was very good, it, it feels like every time Dylan Delusia pitches, it, it bless his heart, um, it just kind of feels like, yeah, he gave up runs, but it, it didn't look bad. But every time he pitches outside of the game against UCF, he gives up runs. It, and we, we come away thinking, I think he threw well, but for whatever reason, they just kind of hit him. And, but, and, and, and I think we're right. It just kind of feels like the kid's pitched to some bad luck so far this year. I think that's partially true. And, you know, that's compounded when you're not as sharp as you need to be, right? Because he sure. allows the soft contact single, and then he was behind – he was ahead in the count on the guy and hang, hung a breaking ball for the double. So, like – Yes, that's a mistake, but, like, that mistake's a lot more harmless if you don't have the kind of – I don't want to call it a BS single, but just one of those, like, okay, what are you supposed to do about that? So, I do think it's been some poor luck compounded with not being as sharp as you need to be. But Johnson finishes the game off. T.J. McCants has a huge um, two-run home run to kind of give Ole Miss some insurance. Not a whole lot else, I thought, to take away from this game. There was another does-the-pitcher-need-a-cigarette moment in this third game we can get to in a second. Um Jack Doherty was fascinating. I was in and out of this game, I would say, for the first three innings. So, really, for Doherty's start, I thought he was – I don't think he was bad, but he made a lot of mistakes up. You know, he gets the – he loses the guy at top of the first inning walk in a 3-2 a count, and then it really kind of compounds on him in the fourth. But the – excuse me, the third inning. But so, he allows it three straight singles after he gets a, a pop-up to third base side. But then he gets a hardly hit ball to second base. They turn the double play. The kid's safe. And then he makes a mis- 
stake to Lofton on a 2-2 fastball, and all of a sudden all the runs scored. Like, I was just like, okay, like, I don't know what to make of this. He wasn't awful. He did make a couple of mistakes. I believe both, if not, excuse me, two of the three singles, he was ahead in the count and let the guy get on. But, like, all of a sudden it was like, okay, poor break, like replay over, turn the double play, and then all of a sudden the kid it over the fence, and you're like, oh, damn, now it's a four-run inning. Anything to um, him not pitching for 11 days, you think that may have played anything into it at all? Yeah, I do. And the fact that he's only pitched twice, and I believe the two outings were 11 days apart. So if they're – I have no idea. I'm not a math guy. We're not going to do math on this show. But does that mean he's pitched twice, three times and in, uh, in each of them have been 11 days apart? Uh, I, can't, I can't confirm that, but it, he's not pitched a whole lot this year. So nobody's fault. Um, just kind of is how it's set up. But it, it's – look, I, I have a hard time holding today against Jack Doherty, if I'm honest. Um, his I first, do. You know, his first weekend start. Um, so, we'll see when he goes to Auburn. I didn't think he was, you know, particularly sharp or anything. But I, I just – I don't come away from this weekend thinking, oh, no, Jack Doherty, not the answer. Um, we are absolute so. geniuses. He pitched on – so the first one was nine days apart. So I forgot right. that February had 28 days. So that's on me, right. MIS education. But he pitched on um, February 20th, March 1st, and March 13th. I think you're on to something there. That's three outings, what, nine and 12 days apart or nine and 11 days apart. I think you're, I think right. you're on to something there. Like, that's, that's not just, natural. That's what, the, what I wrote about last weekend. We talked about it a little bit. Ole Miss went and got a series win against what we think will be a pretty good club without, you know, arguably one of its best arms pitching. Is that really the point? Like, you actually would like to get him some work once, right? Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It's just – let's see what Zach Doherty does when he's on a regular schedule. I, I'll just be interested to see that. So, um, of course, to be completely fair, Jack Doherty. Jack Doherty has not been on a regular schedule since he's arrived in Oxford. That's so. a great point. He hasn't. So, like, maybe that helps him. <laughs> Because what does that actually look like now? Now he's now he's on a regular schedule, and we say this. Uh, how ironic is it that they're going to have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday next week? But <laughs> close to a regular schedule. Jack, I'm with Jack, you. We didn't even know this, and I still laugh about the the text message. I think it was you that sent me. It was like, who the hell is this kid? Because Ole Miss's bullpen had just gotten shredded by Arkansas. And he's like hitting ninety two on the black. Yeah, that first outing, he came in in like the seventh inning, and it's like I get like I, opponent aside, like why, why is this kid throwing ninety four? Where has he been? Like, tell <laughs> me he was redshirted. Yeah, you know, what's what's the deal here? Was it was I was I duped? What's going on? Does someone have a different jersey on? So I'm with you there. He wasn't sharp. He wasn't as like I don't know. I thought it was another thing, kind of similar to Delucia, where he wasn't terrible by any stretch, but he made a couple of minor mistakes, and that compounded really on one swing. Wait and see. If he gets touched up by Auburn next week, I think it's a different conversation, don't you think? To me, it's kind of like, all right, I'd like to see this again on a regular schedule, like you said. Yeah, yeah. If if, if Auburn hits him up, well, I got to do something. Um, but you know, well, I don't, I don't think it's gonna happen. So, uh, you know, and past that, Hunter Elliott, Riley Maddox. You look at their box scores, and it's like, oh, not great. I watched it; they were fine. They, the the kid hit a home run off Elliott. It was a pitch over the outside corner at the kids' like thighs. I mean, it wasn't the best pitch in the world, but it wasn't like he just left it over the middle of the plate either. Um, so, I, I thought those two kids were probably pitched better than the numbers. So, um, I, I don't really think there's anything to worry about with them two either. I think you're right on with that. That, to me, both of their outings fell in line with the delusion part of it, where it was like, were they the sharpest? 
No, but like the Elliot before things got really haywire, he should have been out of the inning. He kind of got squeezed on a strike call on the outside corner there where the kid ended up either hitting a double or walking. I can't remember. It's where like, okay, he's out of that at 5-4 if that doesn't happen. And then it just got away from him. I'm with you. Like they were okay. They weren't the sharpest, but you know, that's allowed to happen sometimes. And it just was one of those situations where it compounded on them. Are you ready for the uh, second, does the pitcher need a cigarette moment of the weekend? Bottom of the yeah, lower, but yeah, yeah. Four, four yeah. nothing lead. You get the alderman strikeout. Dunhurst goes down one and two, draws a Ooh. walk. Had a couple of really ridiculous. Wait, no, Dunhurst in a tank, didn't he? What? Dunhurst in a Excuse tank. me. Yeah, sorry, not a walk, a home run. He's down right. one and two. A couple of ridiculously good takes there in between, and then he hits one dead on the batter's eye. <laughs> now it's four to one. It's the eight Bur- hole. <laughs> Burford three pitches later <laughs> hits a double. You get a shat strikeout. So it's like, okay, we're going to enter the dugout with the 4 1 uh, lead. Well, then Bench goes 0 uh, 1, then he's at 2 1, and then it's five foul balls in a row. Yeah. And then he doubles to right center, and then Gonzalez puts it over the fence five pitches later, and it's 4 to 4. You know, like about the fourth foul ball to Bench, old buddy's like, screw this. I, I, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> it's like because I gotta face Gonzalez and Elko after this cat, and this cat is wearing me out. It's a seven pitch at bat than the two hitter. You're right, and like on a serious note, like those are kind of the 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 I would say I won't say game changing, but at the time it was game changing. That's the kind of game changing at bat that Ole Miss is actually capable of one through nine in the order. I know they lost the game, but I think that was encapsulating a little bit. Was the you know Burford was the nine hole hitter. And he doubles after the eight-hole hitter. It's a tank to dead away center. Like, Ole Miss is capable of it. bats like that, one through nine. There's not a hole. There was not a point where I was like, ah, it's Dunhurst and Burford. Let's see if they can get to the other side. I was like, I mean, are both of these guys going to get on? Like, it's it's kind of incredible <laughs> to watch sometimes. I think I think the, um, the best way to describe this offense, at least for me, was they were down eight to four in the last inning, and Hayden Dunhurst got on, and I was like, they might still win this game. Like, I was a hundred percent with you. <laughs> like, like Dunhurst gets that three-two walk. I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, I, I the that's how good this offense is. It's like because Dunhurst is the eight hole. If they can get it back to you know shot yay, and this if Elko gets up with the bases loaded, he's going to hit one to Old Taylor or well, excuse me, University Avenue, and the game's going to be tied. So, I mean, it's that's how good this offense is. They're never out of it. And I know that sounds stupid, but if you think back to last year, I mean, they were down, what, like 13-1 to 1 to Arkansas and 9-1 to 1 to LSU and, you know, tied those games and wound up winning the LSU win. So, this, this, this offense is kind of really never out of it. I was 100% with you. So, he loses Dunhurst on the walk, and then he throws ball one to Burford in that set, seventh inning. I was like, oh, this kid's in trouble. Like, they might actually Was it Burford? Because I swore the kid that hit was left-handed at the end. It was Burford there because it went Dunhurst through the walk in the seventh, and then it was Burford. Right, I just thought maybe they pinch it for him, but I, I'm probably wrong. The uh, but he hits it right at the guy, and you know you talk yeah. about the that's baseball moment of the weekend. It's a hard hit ball, kind of up the middle, but the guy's playing the second baseman's playing at double play depth. He turns the double play. Credit to them for doing it, but at that point the game's over. But you're right. Like if Burford gets on there and it turns over to Shotney, it's like okay, now now this dude's been real trouble. Like I would have actually maybe even like bet on them winning the game at that point. You know what I mean? So again, kind of a, as we put a bow on all of this, Ole Miss drops the last game, but wins two of three. The offense, even without Kevin Graham to me, 
is as good as advertised and is going to give them a chance in pretty much any game they play. I mean, it was even evident in a couple of the instances this weekend where Ole Miss goes down four to nothing, then he immediately answers it with four. I think back to the UCF game last week where they get down six to three, and then, you know, it's six, six without Ole Miss recording it out. They go back to back to back. Like that's, there's going to be moments throughout this year that they're going to give the pitching staff the boost with that. As far as pitching wise, if you're going to offer a macro thought to close this out, doesn't it feel like they're still just figuring it out? I don't feel like they're in trouble. If you're gonna, no. if you're gonna author a concern, if I had to point it toward one direction, it would probably be starting pitching. But sure. the outline with the rest of the SEC, to me, it still just feels like they're figuring out. What do you think about the pitching well, staff as they enter SEC play? Um, I'll say this: so you, you use the non-conference slate to figure out roles. I think you can disagree with me. I think the roles are pretty defined at this point. Jack Doherty's going to have a weekend spot. Derek Diamond's going to have a weekend spot. Um, John Gaddis is going to have a weekend spot. I don't feel like any of those are in limbo right now. Um, Brandon Johnson's going to be the closer. So you can sit there and say, I wish those guys would pitch better. Yeah, I do too. Um, I wish, you know, I wish uh, Doherty would have had a better outing today. I wish, you know, uh, Derek Diamond would have pitched better at, at UCF or whatever. But You've, you've defined the roles in this pitching staff. Now you've, and you've figured out the guys that are going to try to get it to Brandon Johnson. Because we know if Ole Miss leads 2-1 to one in the bottom of the ninth against Auburn, I mean, we know who's going to be on the mound. That's not always been the case when Ole Miss has gotten to this time of the year. Um, so I think Mike has done a pretty good job of getting roles set for this team um, over the non-conference slate and, 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 you know, obviously starting the conference slate on Friday night or Thursday night. I think you're dead on with that. And it's really just figuring out the minutia of it. Now, do we know whether, you know, they're ultimately going to be good enough as a starting pitching staff? No. I would say that's one overarching question. But as you take stock of this as they enter conference play, the yeah. it has been better, I think, than most people would have thought it sure. would be at this point. And I think you're right. And I think this is a good way to, I guess, frame it in the sense of Mike last year, we talked about this a couple of times, threw a lot of dudes in a lot of different spots and just gave a bunch of guys opportunities. And he entered conference play with, I feel like, seven, eight guys that he thought Mike could help. I remember our conversations around this time last year on the podcast were like, you know, this team could be seven, eight deep. It's like, that's actually not that realistic. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. So I think he's the reason some of the roles are defined is because, and this isn't a, a knock on a Mallets or a – or a Wes Burton, or even a uh, Jackson Kimbrell until the last, you know, seven days, I would say. He's, you know, pitched well enough. He earned another outing this week. I think Mike has gone with the guys that have worked, the guys that he's most confident in, and it's come at the expense of getting Wes Burton, you know, a second or third outing, or Josh Mallett's right. a second outing. You know what I mean? And I think that's actually a more wise way to approach it. So I think you're right, and I think Mike deserves credit for that because, you know, he could have thrown the known commodities back out there three to four times in a non-conference slate. And instead, I feel like he has a better idea of who can help and who can't. You don't get to say that your bullpen wasn't developed enough, um, which is for all intents and purposes what he said at media day. Um, you don't get to say that and then not go develop your bullpen. So I feel like, I feel like Mike's done a really good job of that. Um, you kind of know what those guys are. And, you know, it was important for Riley Maddox, Dylan Belushi, and Hunter Elliott. Brandon Johnson to, to – because, I mean, you think about – back on it, Brandon Johnson didn't throw a whole lot of innings last year, man. Um, so, you know, it's uh, – I think Mike's done a really, really good job this non-conference. Like, you know, I wish they were, you know, whatever, 16-0 and 0 or 15-0. Yeah, absolutely. But 
you know, that, that, that's almost impossible too. Um, you know, pretty much everybody's lost the game. Uh, said pretty much. I know there's still some undefeated, but you know, it's. I think Mike's done a really good job of getting this the the pitching roles defined. Um, you know, and the offense just is what it is. That that is defined. You you have to do a whole heck of a lot to get that defined. Looking around the SEC, because I think we just put a bone. Ole Miss will do the – they will go down to C-Law and then they'll go on the road for Auburn. And conference plays here, which I'm excited about. That's going to be a whole yeah. lot of fun. What uh, – does anything stand out about what happened around the SEC this weekend? South Carolina uh, picked two from Texas. That. Anything else stand out? Just like the – I mean, everything uh, else seems much chalk unless I missed something. Auburn lost two or three in the middle, I think. Oof. Not great. I could be wrong on that one. I know they lost Friday, and I think they lost today. I saw um, that they lost Friday, and I didn't pay attention to it after that. I can look this up in real time. We've got our IT department on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a. I don't think they're very good. You know, we kind of no, do. So, Butch, like, could he kind of piece it together again? It's not one of their better teams. I think they stay. I feel like no. Yeah, it's starting to feel like no. Um, so, Ole Miss went over there the last time in 19. I'm trying to. Man, I can't remember the last time Ole Miss won a series in Auburn. That's a chase question. But uh, they for whatever lost reason, two or three, you're correct. Yeah, they lost two or three in 17 because that was when they were trying to get in the tournament. I know oh, I'm in uh, Auburn this weekend. Sorry. Oh, uh, Auburn lost two yeah. or three in the middle. Yeah, not, not great for the Tigers. Ole Miss needs to win this series. You don't have to sweep it. It's a road series against the SEC West opponent. It would be a disappointment if Ole Miss comes away from the Plains without two wins, though. I uh, would agree with that. I actually missed that Auburn in the second game of the year. Again, whatever. Uh, Arlington, Texas, Flow Sports uh, here Tech. on the advertisement. Uh, beat Texas Tech 2-1. to one. That's their best win of the year by far. Yeah, they beat Texas Tech. Um, so, yeah. It, uh, yeah, I actually I actually watched some of that game. It, uh, that, was, that was a team that – because Auburn beat Oklahoma. Or maybe they lost Oklahoma. The, the they lost 3 nothing. They won the next day, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that um, was against Texas Tech. Right, and I'm talking about the day after that. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's not a great Auburn team. So, so Ole Miss needs to put whatever you know problems they've had on the planes the past few times they've gone over there to bed and figure out a way to win too for sure. A and M drops a game to Santa Clara. I don't know much about Santa Clara, but they lost sixteen to five. I think they stink. Wash will get that figured out, but it ain't this year. Yeah, it's not there yet. And then Arkansas, they end up sweeping UIC, but that was kind of a uh, – Illinois-Chicago, but that was kind of a weird one today. That seems like impressive. a team that's pretty good offensively but really needed that Paulette kid, and they're kind of scrambling without him. Yeah. Um, they're You know, Nolan's their Friday guy right now. He's fine. But, you know, it kind of – it feels like Arkansas is a lot of what Ole Miss is without as good of an offense. So, um, you know, they had Kevin Cobbs to bail him out of a lot of stuff last year. Don't have that this year. So, be interesting to see with them um, how they kind of handle and navigate league play. Uh, Florida takes two or three from Seton Hall. They lose the Sunday game. I'll just put it to you this way, at the risk of just going through all these teams. With what South Carolina did this weekend, what you think Tennessee will be, what you think Florida will end up being, I don't really don't know what to make of Georgia. And then South Carolina taking two of three from um, Texas – is there a world – actually, is it fairly likely at this point that the East is better than the West? I think it's out there. Um, you know, Mississippi State sweeps Princeton this weekend, which, you know, Princeton's not a very good team. They're winless on the year. But, you know, State's not been the team that we thought they'd be, and then they lose Landon Sims, um, Texas A&M down. 
We don't think Auburn's very good. Um, jury's kind of still out on Alabama. And then Arkansas, LSU, and Ole Miss are really, really good. Um, you know, is there a world where, you know, some of those teams, A&M State, um, figure it out and become really good teams? Yeah, I would probably think that Mississippi State, by the time May rolls around, is a pretty good baseball team. Chris Lomonas usually does that. I think if I had to pick the better side of the league, it would it would certainly be the East right now. I mean, from Tennessee to Georgia to Florida to Vandy to South Carolina. Um, yeah, I, I think – I mean, you talk about a Kentucky team that, that won two against TCU this week or last weekend. So, yeah, it's uh, – I would definitely say the, the East has, has shown superior through the non-conference slate at least. Do you have any all-encompassing thoughts on the NCAA tournament selection committee? It seemed like – I didn't pay a ton of attention to this day because, again, Ole Miss is not in it. It seemed like that uh, – it sounds like A&M got screwed and then that the committee – They, they the did. The SEC um, they did, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't really have any other way to put it. They, they should have been in. Um, it doesn't break my heart because I'm not team SEC or anything. Um but and I don't really particularly like A&M, but from a metric standpoint, yeah, I would I would definitely be upset if I'm an A&M fan. And if you look at it, and they're like, like they're like the fourth team out. They weren't even close. So uh, yeah, if I'm A&M, I'm, I'm pretty upset with how the day went. He is Colin Brister, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent. Hey, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I'll I, I, I just got? say uh, uh, the the women's team. They they got in. It was a really cool deal. They, oh, uh, I'm glad play you it. brought that up. I missed that entire thing. Where, uh, to be honest, as we sit here, I have no idea what's what's their deal. Update us. So they will go to Waco. I don't know if the game is on Friday or Saturday. They will play South Dakota, um, and if they win, they will likely play Baylor. Um, the game will be at Baylor's arena. So um, it's part of women's basketball. The first uh, round is is at home sites. So. Um, Busy day, though, like, right? Because Mike White goes to Georgia. Uh, Tom yeah, Brady unretires. What a, what a power move by Mike White. First of all, because I love it. The women I love team. it. What a turnaround by them. But, yeah, so the Mike yeah. White thing, it's a smart move. It's a shrewd move. He just got a reset before he might have gotten canned. Yeah. Also, look, I don't think there was any doubt. Also tells you that uh, Ole Miss will be – that Kermis Davis will be the Ole Miss basketball coach next year, right? Yeah, and the, the 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 whatever you the tea leaves, whatever you want to call it, even after yeah. Ole Miss lost on Wednesday night, I I feel like if there was going to be po- the possibility of a change, I feel like antennas would have started to be raised, and you sure. would start hearing maybe little rumblings by Thursday. And when that didn't happen, I was like, okay, there the, the, he's getting another year. Is it is it not weird? And look, I, I think I would be I would be floored at this point if he is not the Ole Miss basketball coach next year. Don't, if you're Keith, you need to like come out and just say that. I, I feel like, I mean that maybe it's maybe I'm being weird about it, but if I'm Keith Carter, I come out and say yes, Kermit Davis will be our basketball coach next year. There's a lot I'm of places you. around the country that have done that. No, I'm with you. I think it's strange, but the part of that is, is do you think it's maybe just an oversight, or maybe he doesn't think he needs to do that? I'm not arguing it's right or wrong. I just I don't know if you watch Kermit's press conference on Wednesday night. That guy spoke like a man who had talked to his AD and knew exactly yeah, he what was happening next year. You know what I mean? Yeah, he did. Um, and I don't want to talk about basketball too much. I made myself watch that game on Wednesday night, and it made me sick. So, How did that go for uh, you? Because uh, my birthday was technically Wednesday, so I watched about 10 minutes. And then my girlfriend was like – I was, she was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'd like to watch the baseball and the basketball game. And she was like, actually, you do that every day. Like, we're going to need to go do something else. So, I went and got <laughs> crawfish around here, so I didn't watch anymore. How was that experience watching? I can't believe – I can't imagine it was overly fun. 
I made myself do it because I felt like if I was going to comment on Kermit Davis, I needed to at least watch the last game of the year. Um, they're bad, man. They're not talented at all. Like, and I don't, I don't know how this gets fixed. I texted you earlier today when I was just thinking. Um, it's a little bit of an indictment how many guys leave the program and get better, though. That 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 really really bothers me. I got to be honest. A complete oversight when you texted me that I did not know that Hadim C was a major contributor on that Steve Forbes uh, Wake team. Did that? Did they get in the tournament? I haven't looked in. No, they did not. But still, year two major turnaround yeah. for them. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, you know who else is at uh, Oklahoma State? Bryce Williams played alongside Kate Cunningham last year. And I haven't looked at KJ's numbers lately, but, you know, he was getting work He there. played a lot last night. Yeah, and, uh, they're headed to the NCAA tournament. That's uh, Happy I for my guy. I mean, I don't know how, what, like, how to put my finger on what exactly the reason for that is, but I can't argue. It's not a good thing. Like, it's not a great look. Happy, happy for my guy, AK. That was cool. Like, and look, I, I know it, it was time at Ole Miss and all that, but it, it's – you've got to be a pretty good coach and probably a pretty good human for you to essentially get told to leave at a place and, like, the fan base still root for you. Kind of like Texas does Rick Barnes. Like, nobody at Texas has any ill will towards Rick Barnes. Um, so, it was – I thought that was pretty cool with, with AK last night. They'll uh, they'll go to Pittsburgh. I'm not exactly sure. I think they're a 12 seed. Uh, they play Houston. That's who they play. They play Houston in the first round of the tournament. So, um, hopefully KJ and uh, AK – at least I'll have a team to root for in, in March. You know, I'm with you. I don't have AK, good guy. I think the Rick Barnes comparison is actually a very good one, even though you could make an argument like, what the hell is Texas doing actually letting that guy go? It didn't bother (laughs) him. But look, dude, you're a good coach if you last a half, a decade and a half anywhere in any league in the country, no matter what job it is. AK can coach basketball. You put it well. It was probably time for the split, but you know, if there's a winner and the loser in the split, I would say AK's pulled ahead so far just a little bit. Does it feel like any way to you, like, when Ole Miss got rid of AK, Ole Miss and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ole Miss fans and the administration felt like they could do better than what AK had done um, the past 12 years. That, that, I feel like that's fair. After four years of him being gone, do you have to kind of revisit that? Like, do you have to kind of look and say, can we do better than what that guy provided? Because I don't know if – look, and I don't know, I'm not smart enough and well-versed enough on the basketball landscape to answer that question, but it does make me think, like, is Ole Miss really better than what AK provided? Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, but the other part of that is, is it had gone stale, too. Oh, it had. No, no, no. Let me be very clear. It was time for a change from a program standpoint. I'm asking you, is the standard of what Ole Miss basketball should be what Andy Kennedy provided? Oh, um, no, I actually think, okay, maybe it's slightly higher. Like, if, if there's a ceiling, did AK reach maybe, like, 85% of it, which is still pretty okay. damn good when you look at his entire tenure? Absolutely. I just wonder how much of it was it had gone stale versus, you know, they can actually do better more consistently. Because I think one of the things that skews that, too, is you remember between Chancellor Gumballs and, you know, some of the stuff that – thoughts that yeah. Bjork maybe offered privately about what he thought the program should be – there was definitely a disconnect there. Whether they thought they could do much better or not, that was a little bit uh, delusional. So that you do have a point there. I just think in reality, it had probably just gone stale, despite some incompetent decision makers thinking they could make the tournament. What was that? What was that rumor floating? It was around? like four out of five years. years. They, 
Bjork, uh, Bjork had a quote like, we want to go to the SEC tournament every year knowing that we're in. I'm like, all right, buddy, good luck. Yeah, what, what do you think you are? Like, you, you... <laughs> Me too. But uh, I'd also like to make the playoff every year in college football while we're at it. Yeah. <laughs> Is Lane Kiffin on the hot seat? It's two years of that of college football playoff. <laughs> two years and he's not playing the national semifinal. Time to talk about buyout. A lot of pressure going on in Lane Kiffin in year three. <laughs> he's uh... – he is Colin Brister, this uh, Rippy Rights baseball correspondent. I appreciate the time, as always, my man. The next time we do a Sunday conversation, we'll probably hit you up in the midweek, but we will be three games through SEC play. How does that sound? Yeah, that's uh, it's a good time of year, man. Uh, college basketball, uh, and it's at the forefront with the NCAA tournament. Um, Major League Baseball, thankfully, about to start, and then college baseball about to start SEC play and conference play. It's a, it's a really good time of year if you like sports. Good stuff, my man. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. All right. That is our show. I appreciate you guys making it to the end. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll be back at it with a loaded week of podcasts. We've got March Madness. We've got SEC baseball starting up. Uh, Colin and I, will, I'm sure we'll do some sort of midweek check-in. We will have your uh, college basketball gambling uh, segment covered. We'll do probably some sort of bracket thing with Greg and I or something, but all kinds of great stuff coming down the pipe this week. Maybe even a little spring football preview with Weldon. We'll have to see how that goes. So, Stay tuned. Big week of podcasts coming up. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll catch you on Wednesday.